Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Late last week, HHS and the Treasury Department released a final rule on the 2022 Notice of Benefit and Payment Parameters, or NBPP, updating several areas and finalizing standards for issuers, marketplaces, and navigators for the 2022 plan year. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, Marcy Buckner discusses what changes this final rule makes. Additionally, we also will discuss a comment letter that NAHU just submitted on electronic filing requirements for certain IRS documents that employers need to submit. So, To begin, let's provide listeners some context. Where does last week's final rule fit in with previous NBPP rules that we talked about several months ago? Why is there yet another rule coming out on this now? This is the final version of the third NBPP proposed rule that came out in July. So the first two were put out, one by the Trump administration, another by the Biden administration, and then they realized they needed kind of another one to like clean everything up before open enrollment. So that's why we had a third NBPP proposed rule. And then now this is the final version of the proposal we saw in July. So that's why we're having yet another version come out and This has happened before when we have a change in administration. So this isn't odd. The same thing happened when there was a transition from the Obama administration to the Trump administration, where we saw the Obama administration release something very late in 2016. And then the Trump administration came in in 2017 and released their own rules. Here, we're seeing that again, just with a difference between the Trump to Biden transition. So not unusual, somewhat expected, although this final version does come a bit late as we're bumping up to open enrollment. Speaking of open enrollment, in trying to accomplish their stated goal of increasing access to coverage, the agencies increased the length of the open enrollment period. So what are the new dates? The new dates for open enrollment are November 1st to January 15th. And this allows for an extra month. Over the past couple of years, we've seen it shortened from November 1 to December 15th. So going until January 15th obviously gives us an additional four weeks. But it also allows for something else. And this is something that we supported in the past when we had a longer open enrollment period that went into the following year. What it does is it allows for a little bit of time, although very short period of time of two weeks, here in this case, but it allows for a little bit of time for folks to get into their plans, whether it's a a new plan or they've been auto-enrolled or re-enrolled into a different plan than they had before. And it allows them to experience that plan to make sure it's the right one for them while they're still in open enrollment and can possibly shift their, their plan and change to a different one before the end of OEP on January 15th. Does this apply to this coming OEP or next year's? 
Yes. So all of these rules are for this coming open enrollment period. So this notice of benefit and payment parameters applies to this coming open enrollment period. Every year we get a round of the NBPP and it applies to the immediately following open enrollment period. So here, again, like I said, it's pretty close for getting this last round of guidance, but I think that's because of everything else going on in health policy right now. So these will apply even though we're, you know, at the end of September and getting these just a little bit like a month and a half in advance. But most people realize that the pieces that were in the proposed rule were going to be finalized, that we wouldn't expect too many changes from the proposed version to the final version, which is what we have now. Another major change that this rule makes is to state enrollment options and Section 1332 waiver policies. So what does this final regulation entail for states in this area? This section is really targeted towards one state, and that is the state of Georgia. And they are looking at enrollment and the process for enrollment and specifically targeting 1332 waivers. And it's because Georgia previously applied for a 1332 waiver under the Trump administration, which was initially approved to be able to set up their own system for enrollment. And it's difficult to discuss because the way that this was going to be set up was Georgia was going to disengage from the healthcare.gov federal marketplace, but they weren't going to set up their own state exchange, which is what states are supposed to do if they leave the federal exchange. Instead, Georgia was going to set up what they were calling an enhanced direct enrollment, which I know has ties to enhanced direct enrollment on the federal exchange. So I'll clarify that in a moment. But they were going to set up enrollment to only go through either existing carrier website portals or through web brokers so that there wouldn't be a state exchange website. And I think one of the reasons why when the Biden administration came in, they did not want to see this move forward. I think there were a number of reasons, but one of them, one of the largest reasons when we look at the ACA and just the kind of base values or goals of the ACA, one of them was with these marketplaces to create a platform where it was very easy to be able to compare all of the plans on the individual market against each other while you were shopping. So With the Georgia model, if you're only going through carrier websites, you're probably not going to see what other carriers are offering in the individual plans. And similar with web brokers, you're only going to see the the carriers that those web brokers are contracted with. So it doesn't allow for that shopping comparison that was one of the largest intentions behind how they built up the platforms for the federal marketplace and then the models for the state exchanges. So that's a really basic example of why this was something that wasn't endorsed by the Biden administration, among a few other pieces that were within the 1332 waiver application. So this section of the notice of benefit and payment parameters basically is saying you can't set up this type of enrollment feature as a state that it it doesn't count towards qualifying for a 1332 waiver. 
So the, the confusing part here is that in the language in this section of the notice of benefit and payment parameters, they talk a lot about enhanced direct enrollment. You all know this as EDE or DE direct enrollment that allows for you to enroll clients, consumers directly on the carrier website and still get the subsidy determination. That is still something that you're able to do. So it did not take that away. That's something that came about just within the past couple of years and CMS has been very happy with. So that is still an option, but it's an option that you can use for enrollment while also having the marketplace websites up both in the states and and the federal marketplace for that easy comparison side-by-side shopping tool. The rule also finalizes some new premium tax credits for certain low-income consumers. So can you talk a little bit about those new credits and who will be eligible? So another aspect is allowing for a monthly special enrollment period for individuals who will be able to get a subsidy in the exchange and whose household income is under 150% of the federal poverty level. So helping out those folks that are at the lower end of of subsidy eligibility, but are making too much to qualify for Medicaid. So this will be available in the federal exchanges and also in state-based exchanges, but the states have to choose to implement it. So this isn't going to be something that's automatic for those state-based exchanges to have this special monthly SEP for this income population. So if you are in a state-based exchange, you're going to have to check with your state to see if they have chosen to implement this. But if you're in a federal exchange, this is something that's going to be permanent and in place. And then obviously, because this is applying to receive a subsidy, this is only for on-exchange plans. You all know off-exchange, you can't receive a subsidy. So it wouldn't qualify there since these folks are in that subsidy eligible population. Finally, the rule also makes some changes to the Navigator program. So what changes did we see here? So there were a few changes and some of these coincide with the increase in funding that has been announced over the past several months from the Biden administration for the Navigator program. And with this, it's, it's about outreach and enrollment in the federal exchange, which we all know President Biden, that was something he campaigned on to uphold the ACA and try to bolster the federal marketplace. So this is not a surprise that they would like to try to inject some more funds into the Navigator program where funds were, were depleted during the Trump administration. But here and in our comments to the administration, when this was a proposed rule and those comments were taken, you'll see here that nothing in the final rule allows for navigators to, to do any activities that are reserved for an agent or, or broker which those things are sell, solicit, or negotiate insurance. They are still there to help facilitate enrollment, which is to help with filling out the forms if needed. They're not able to provide guidance with plan selection. But one of the nuances here is that the final rule says that they're able to assist consumers post-enrollment. So I've had a lot of questions of what that means. It's definitely not the same thing as what you all do post-enrollment to assist your clients. 
So oftentimes post-enrollment, you all are helping with claims filing, with, you know, things not being paid, surprise billing, all of those sorts of things. Those are not things that navigators will be able to help with. When it says that they're able to help with post-enrollment, when it says they're able to help consumers post-enrollment, a lot of that is about things that are really kind of like health insurance literacy. So now they're enrolled in a program, great. How do I use it? What's a copay? How do I look up where my providers are, but not selecting them? None of that. So not being able to try to help them with claims, like I mentioned, really just basic information. That's what it's allowing the navigators to be able to do and to be able to have those conversations after someone's enrolled, which previously those conversations had to end after they were enrolled in their coverage. So in addition to this final rule, NAHU submitted comments this week to the IRS and Treasury Department in response to a proposed rule on electronic filing requirements for certain documents. So which documents does this proposed rule deal with? So this talks about those sections 6055 and 6056 reporting information. And Many of you who have worked with large groups have been doing these filings electronically for a number of years now. But if you are working with smaller groups, you haven't been required to do electronic filing. And kind of depending on the groups that you're working with, maybe you've been doing paper filings, maybe you've been doing them electronically. But under the proposed rule, Now, where previously it was, if you have a group that's 250 or more, you have to electronically file. Now they're shifting that from 250 to 100. So if you have 100 or more, then you have to file it electronically. And this is for calendar year 2022. And then the following year, it drops again down to 10. So that if you have 10 or more in your group, you're required to electronically file. So very kind of drastic cutoffs to require folks to electronically file this information. So we we did have some comments on this, as you can imagine. One was that the time frame here, that since this is going to impact those groups that have 100 to 250 for the first time in plan year 2022 to electronically file. Since we're finding out right now at the end of September with a proposed rule and we don't have a final rule on this, we have stated that an, an extra year in delay would be preferable so that we're not going directly into the plan year that they're requiring electronic filing for. So we're trying to delay this until 2023 for groups over 100 and then 2024 for groups 10 and up. So that was our first request. And then the other was for the federal government to develop some type of free electronic filing method for each type of the returns that are required under Section 6055 and Section 6056. And this is because we've seen with other entities and with some of some states that require electronic filing, the states that have allowed this through a free filing format, especially for those smaller employers, um, it's really eased the burdens for those employers to be able to comply with this. I know that it may not sound like a big deal, but for some smaller employers that don't have an HR person that is 
part of their staff that takes care of all of this or that doesn't have a TPA that can take care of all of this for them. Being able to do this with a free format would be just really helpful for them to be able to comply and be able to do this electronically without having to hire someone that could be very costly for them. So like I said, this is a proposed rule that would make these changes. We did submit comments earlier this week, and then we should expect to see a final rule possibly within the next 60 days. And we'll be letting you all know as soon as we get that and pointing you towards some resources and partners that we have that can assist with electronic filing. It is now time for the NHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? This week, we are toasting to the beginning of fall. On September 22nd, we had the end of summer officially and the beginning of fall. We are looking forward to some cooler weather so we can get outside and enjoy it. Happy fall, y'all. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.